Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Uh, Michelle and I just got back from Scottsdale celebrating our 42nd anniversary. And uh, we were at the Fairmont Princess Resort, and I call her my princess, so we call that the princess at the princess. And uh, it, it, was, it was an amazing time. As a matter of fact, you want to know what Scottsdale's like this time of the year? It's like yesterday, every day. And so uh, it, it, was, it was an amazing time. Uh, Michelle always gets paranoid when I tell people what a nice place we go to. I began discipling a young man in 1995 who became the highest draft pick in the history of Florida State in football, signed for $42 million. His name's Andre Wadsworth, and he planted a church. I've been his pastor ever since, so he brings us there every year and lavishes us like we're his parents. And uh, I paid for everything before he got a college, and then he'd been paying for everything since he got out of college. Uh, and he planted a church. There. He's the chaplain of the Phoenix Suns and the Arizona Cardinals. Their church has about 9,000 each weekend. And so uh, we, we enjoy our time with him. I'm his pastor, like Dr. Darris and other people you know that, that, that Michelle and I pastor their families. But I think today I'm so excited. Let me just put an addendum to one thing that Joseph mentioned, uh, our legacy. Say that with me, legacy. A group of legacy founders got together and committed to give $3 million a year to us to continue building our buildings to reach people. Each, each weekend, how many of you know today 48 people got saved? How many of you know, I mean, got baptized? How many of you know that's not normal? Okay, that's every month at OSC. Each weekend, just here, we average about 75 to 100 people giving their life to Christ. Across our campuses, hundreds of people give their life to Christ every weekend. So when we talk about building, number one, we've outgrown this facility a long time ago. Even though we sent 500 people to five miles away from here to Youngsville 10 months ago, and then we sent another 100 or so people to Abbeville about eight months ago. Since that time, the Lafayette campus went from 1,800 people to 3,000 people in the last eight to 10 months. And most of that is people giving their life to Christ and being born again. So when we talk about expanding, we're not talking about buildings, we're talking about people. One of the people that was baptized today was one of the men who watched us every week from the Lafayette Parish Correctional Facility. We're in Lafayette, Iberia Parish, and right now we're doing the work, I'll tell you about it, tell you what it's going to cost us to go into St. Martin Parish. They want us to broadcast in St. Martin Parish jails every weekend. So th th that's not normal. How many of you know that? How many of you parked on the grass today? Raise your hand. How many of you know we need more parking lot? We need more parking lot. We need a child, more children's space. We need a youth facility. We need an overflow for here. All of that goes into legacy. And it begins with your gift. So we've been pledged $3 million, but we have to match that. We're not there yet. 
And the final deadline is next weekend. So in order for us to receive $3 million to begin, we're going to be able to do uh, all of Vilplat. I, I, I saw a list this week. I don't know if you saw it, but the 10 worst places to live in Louisiana. We have churches at four of them. Let, let me tell you how I interpret that. The 10 cities that need Jesus the most. Yes, yes. That need, the government might have given up on Bill Platt, but God hasn't given up on Bill Platt. God hasn't given up on Abbeville. God hasn't given up on Opelousas. God, God hasn't given up on any of these communities. And when you see the crime rate and you see joblessness and you see all of the violence that's taking place, does that mean they need less churches or more? More. Last year... 3,000 churches in America opened up. Isn't that great? 4,000 closed. Each church is a light center. And every time one's removed, darkness comes into a place where there was once light. And so that is what you do with your legacy giving. So with that legacy giving, we're going to begin completing the, the Opelousas, excuse me, Bill Platt, Expanding Abbeville and then beginning right here to expand a $9 million expansion that will go from the beginning of this year and into next year so we can have 400 more seats, parking, children's spaces, youth facility. We have this building and we have a building that seats 120 kids. That's all we have. So you just saw we have hundreds of students that gather here each week. We don't have a place big enough for them to gather if they don't gather right here in this room. So... Today, I want to just remind you of that. Is that okay? Yes. Okay, thank you. Well, today, I, I love doing what Michelle and I are going to do today because this has been my princess of 42 years. I knew Michelle. I met her right on Broadmoor Street. She walked in with her brother who I'd led to Christ. She was 13 years old. I thought she was 13. And she, she walked in. She was a tomboy. She hadn't even blossomed, if you know what I mean. Like she hadn't blossomed. And I led her brother to Christ, Pastor David. How many of y'all know Pastor David Baudouin? And when he was nine years old, he used to literally sit on my lap and I would kiss his head. So sometimes when we're in pastor's meetings, I look over and go, Pastor David. And so I, I've always been a part of their family, and, and Michelle's family was the complete opposite of my family. My dad was married five times. Each woman he married to my mother had been married two or three times. I finally married him to the last woman that he was with until he died when he was in his mid-70s, and she was a white lawyer that had never been married, and I knew she would sue him, and he couldn't get away from her, so I married him. <laughs> it's a true story. He just passed away. Went to be with the Lord about two months ago, but, but that, that's actually my story. So when some of you sit here and you wonder, Pastor Jacob, why, why do you speak with such bold conviction about marriage when, when like I'm divorced or like I'm going through terrible times? Because no matter what you've been through and what you're going through, I've been a child on the other end of that. I was a child on the other end of divorce. Okay, divorce sounds like a paper and like an argument and like a, there's biblical grounds for divorce. Here's what they are, adultery and abuse. 
And I'm not talking about he didn't talk to me, that's mental abuse. I'm talking about physically abusing you. And so today, as we look at our worlds, I think of the world that I grew up in and the world that Michelle grew up in. So coming from all the brokenness, the multiple things, in my mind, I have pictures. How many remember when you were a kid? How many remember like meeting someone you thought was rich the first time when you were a kid? Raise your hand. So I was in the Mexican ghetto of Houston in the barrio, and they would come by and they would pick up little Mexican kids like me and take us to sell Shipley's Donuts door to door. Now, don't get mad at me. I didn't know meshes existed. And, and they would take us to these rich white neighborhoods from the Mexican ghetto. And I mean, I'm a little 11, 12-year-old kid, hair down to here, and, and I'm just going door to door. And it was rich neighborhoods because, number one, white people lived there, and they had central air. Now, back then, you either had a fan or a window unit if you were really uptown. And, and I remember just going through, and did, they would open up those doors, you could... Man, you could just smell. You're, you're in a nice neighborhood. You can smell that central, you know, AC coming out. I remember going to one door, and a beautiful little blonde-headed girl, about 13, opened up the door. I was about 12. And when she opened up the door, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed because of how I looked. I was embarrassed because she was rich and I was poor. I was embarrassed because she was beautiful and like I, I could never have a life like that. And I remember walking away from that door as a little kid going, if that could ever happen, if that could ever happen, I can tell you the number one desire of every person in this room to have a marriage where Christ is the center and to have children that are following Christ with you and one day grandchildren that want to become just like you. So that's where I started. And baby, I want you to tell them a little bit about your fairy tale life that you lived at Disney World before Disney went woke. (laughs) That's coming from the perspective of the donut man, number one. <laughs> but I did. I lived a very, a lot of y'all here know my family, uh, lived a very precious, beautiful life. I'm the fifth of seven children. My mom and dad were married until 58 years when my dad passed. Uh, I was raised in a dream little raised home with a white picket fence around it. Across the street was my dad's mom and dad. And right next door was my mom's mom and dad. My dad was an only child. My mom only had one sibling. We were together all the time. I lived a very protected little private girl Catholic life. Um, My big outing was to go to mass on the weekend. Big deal, climb trees, played with puppies all week, go to mass on the weekend. Still cannot believe that they let me marry Donut Man at 18. Nobody in my family got married before they were 32. My parents let me get married to Pastor Casanova at 18 years old. And I'm so grateful that they saw with spiritual eyes what could be and not exactly what was at that moment. 
And I say this, only God could write stories like this. Hollywood can't prefab it because this and this should have never been and yet it seems like it should have always been. I love those God stories and I get to be a part of that, thank God. So when Michelle went off to Bible college, when she was, she graduated from high school a year early and she went off to Bible college and she came back and for the first time it was like I saw her for the first time in my life. And then it wasn't long after that. Exact words, because we're 11 o'clock and I can say this. He sees me for the first time and he goes, did you do something different to your hair? I'm like, no. Are those new jeans? No. There was nothing different about me. Just he saw me for the first time. Some, oh yeah, that was something there was different something, about I grew her. up, okay, whatever. Oh yeah, that was. That's not true. Maybe it's because I wasn't holding a puppy or something. <laughs> and, and not long after that, I actually, for those of you who know Miss Louise, went to be with the Lord a few months ago as well. And I fell in love with Miss Louise. She was like the mama I wished things could have been like when you grow up. My mom did the best she could, but the, like the life, just like her life versus my life. And uh, I fell in love with her. And uh, I, I fell in love with Miss Louise, and when I knew I couldn't marry Miss Louise, I figured, <laughs> what's next? And Michelle came back from Bible college, and I was just smitten like I'd never seen her before in my life, even though I'd known her since she was 12 years old. And it was not long after that, I asked her mother, it's a great story, I won't go to the details of it, but I told her mother that I had feelings for her and that I loved her. And she said, well, Michelle loves you. I said, no, it's a different kind of love I'm talking about. <laughs> and her mother said, don't tell Michelle that would break her heart. She's always respected you. And then a day later, Michelle sobbing in the bathroom said, mama, I just had this crazy thought. I'm in the mirror fixing my hair and this overwhelming thought came to me that I'm gonna marry Jacob. And six months later, so we got engaged after that time of courtship. Here's our, I picked her up at Bible college. Come on. Yo, did I have it going on? Come on, did I have it going on? Look at me. Jana, you would have dumped Stuart so fast, you wouldn't even know what was going on. I don't care who you are. I mean, you would have, I mean, I That's had like it That's like what going. it feels like to win the Brown Lottery, for sure. <laughs> That's how I felt. She's wearing size one or zero jeans. She weighs all of 99 pounds. And I picked her up there. That was right before Thanksgiving. We went past by my mom's and them and had Thanksgiving with them and then came to Lafayette and then we would get married January the 15th, not many days after that. And here was our engagement picture. Look at that. <laughs> Calvin Klein jeans, what? I didn't go on Calvin Klein jeans. Y'all know where that is, right? It's Acadian Village. It's Acadian Village. And then not long after that, next picture. I know. I know. That was our wedding day and then the wedding. Hey, look at me. When things get tight, I try to bring up that picture. <laughs> Baby, remember that picture? Let's try that pose again. <laughs> and 
There's when we were married at actually the Presbyterian Church on Woodlawn Street, Grace right here, Grace Presbyterian in, in Lafayette. I don't know if you're where you are from Grace, but we'll take y'all to OSC campus. And now 42 years later, here we are. And I married that blonde-headed girl from that house. And 42 years later, after six children, cancer, a brain tumor that Michelle had, after the loss of a child, after walking each one of our children through their own trials and triumphs, rejoicing at every graduation and crying at every disappointment, what is the difference between the way she was raised and I was raised and how we could ever end up together? Jesus and this book right here. That's the difference. Jesus was speaking and he had a group around him and he began to try to tell them the difference between people that really knew him and the people that said they knew him but actually didn't. And here's what he said. So if the tree is good, it will produce good fruit. But if the tree is bad, it will only bear rotten fruit and deserves to be cut down and burned. You'll know them by the obvious fruit. Come on, read with me. The obvious fruit of their lives and ministries. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only those who persist in doing the will of my heavenly Father. The will of God is the word of God. Say that with me. The will of God is the word of God for my marriage. The will of God is the word of God for my parenting. The will of God is the word of God for how my relationships go with other people. The will of God is the word of God. This is the last will and testament of Jesus. He left for us. Okay. On that day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, don't you remember us? Didn't we prophesy or preach in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and do many miracles in your name? And I will say to them, go away from me, you lawless rebels. I've never been joined to you. What he's saying is, I went to church. I read the Bible. I was in a Bible study. He's about to distinguish the difference between the people who've truly known him and his love and those who've just heard about him. Verse 24, everyone, say it with me, everyone. Everyone who hears my teachings and applies it to his life. So come on, applies it to what? Can be compared to a wise man who built his house on, let's say it. Unshakable foundation. How many of you want that for your family? An unshakable foundation. When the rains fell and the floods came with fierce winds beating on his house, it stood firm. Why? Because of his foundation. But, Everyone. come on, say it loud, but who hears these and, say it loud, does not apply it to his life, can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on, and when it rained and it rained and the flood came and the winds and the waves were beating upon the house, it and was. What's interesting in this story is Jesus doesn't say that a Katrina came to the house that was built on the sand and a category one came to the house that was built on the foundation that was right, the rock. Both of them looked the same from the outside, but the difference was the what? It was the foundation. 
What did he say the difference is between a foundation of sand and a foundation of rock? Answer, if you hear these and apply them to your life. If you hear these and apply them to your life. If you hear these and apply them to your life. I should never be married to someone like her. Today, while we sit here, all six of our children are serving Jesus. Four of them are in ministry. Five of them are in ministry preaching the gospel. One's in heaven preaching the gospel. All of them are serving Jesus. Is that the goal? We get to spend eternity with all of our children. They know God. They know the living God. So today, I want to share with you, Michelle and I, a few principles of parenting. We're going to call it parenting wisdom and marriage wisdom that we've learned by applying the Word of God to our lives for the first 42 years of our marriage. Not perfect, but persistent. Not never failing, but never quitting. Are you ready? Okay, baby. Okay, so parenting wisdom number one is no matter how great of a parent you are, there will always be a God gap. And the God gap is the area that you fail to reflect God the Father to your children. So you set the table for your children to have to lean into the goodness of God. And I want to share this with you. Whether you come from a great family like me, no family is a perfect family. I had a great family, but my family wasn't perfect. Okay, my, there was a God gap in my family. Pastor Jacob's family had a huge God gap. Together we get married. We have six children. We're committed to do it right, but guess what? There were areas we failed. So all of humanity, I love the kindness of God. He's the ultimate equalizer. It doesn't matter if you came from the right family, the wrong family, the rich family, the poor family, the educated, the not educated. He will afford all of us moments where a human cannot meet that desire in us. And we all have to lean in beyond the God gap to reach God, to fill that area. What she means is, how many of you have raised children? Okay, how many of you are raising children? How many of you have made mistakes in doing that? Let me help you. Number one, you can't fix in your children what you broke. Only God can. One day when I was sitting with Pastor Jim, our pastor, telling him of some things that that I felt like I had not lived up to as a godly father, he looked at me and he said, Jacob, you can't fix in your children what you broke. Only God can. And your best efforts, your best efforts will have some area where you will fall short. I love what Dr. Darius Daniel says, because I'm human, I don't do some things imperfectly. I do everything imperfectly. Michelle and I at night pray together before we go to bed, and then I, I kiss her at night. One night, many years ago, we prayed with her, and I'll go to kiss her in the dark, and I busted her lip. <laughs> like, how could something so good go so bad? Okay, I want a point of endearment. Instead, she goes to bed aggravated with me with her lip busted. Listen carefully to me. Our best efforts are sometimes just our best efforts. 
But no matter who you are as a parent, there will be a gap where you fall short. And that's where you say to your children, baby, my job is to reflect God, but I'm not God. Only God is God. Only God is perfect. Number two. So number two is let your home be a safe place to succeed and to fail. I would say that, you know, for each of us, you've heard it said, but it is true. We learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. And as a parent, I want to caution you. You know, I'm one of seven, and we've raised six children. And what can happen in a home with multiple children is one child is struggling and make no mistake about it, all the other ones are going to side with the mama and daddy, and everyone's pointing fingers at this child. Don't let siblings do that. They're not parents. They're siblings. You're the parent. The ultimate goal is that you keep the peace of God on your home, and you teach the other children to extend grace, to be patient. And yes, you're holding them to a good standard, but you get my point. Because one day, those children are going to mess up. Everybody has their day of reckoning, but your goal is to keep the peace of God on your home. So here's number three, discipline your children. If you don't discipline your children, someone else will. The difference is you love them. The next person will not. The teacher may not love them. The principal may not love them. The police officer may not love them. And the person they're in jail with may not love them. If you don't discipline your children, someone will. I don't discipline my children so that I will love them. I discipline my children so other people will love them. They're my children. I will always love them. The goal of discipline is to give them a little pain now to keep them from a lot of harm later. How many of you have been spared with this statement? Hey, man, everybody's going to do this. If I do that, my parents will kill me. I'm not going. How many have ever said that? And, and would they have killed you? Answer? No. But you know what? The fact that it would have hurt you or hurt them or hurt both of y'all, that one statement alone saved you from a plethora of trouble, a plethora of trouble. Proverbs 23, 13 says like this, don't withhold appropriate discipline from your child. Go ahead and when he needs it. Don't worry. Come on, read it out loud. It won't kill him. He's going to act like it's killing him. She's going to act like it's killing her. A good spanking could be the very thing that teaches him what? Another translation of this same verse says, and you will deliver his soul from hell. So I like to say it like this. He either can give you hell or you can help deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 13, 24 says, if you withhold correction and punishment from your children, you demonstrate a of true love. So, so do what? How do you prove it? Be prompt to be prompt to punish them. How many of y'all are parents in the room today? Okay, so please listen to my heart when I say this. I give you permission to parent. Because there, you know, words matter, 
right? Order matters. Parents are parents, and children are children. Parents are adults, and children are not. And I came from a generation where your parents disciplined you, and they were your parents. They were not trying to be your best friend. They didn't even care to be your best friend. They fulfilled their God-given holy role of being a parent. So guess what? We raised our, our children the same way. I have children here serving on staff. I didn't even care if they liked me. I wanted them to like me, but I didn't care if they liked me as long as I was doing what's right. But what I've seen today, and it's a huge gap, is you have parents trying to be their children's friends prematurely. Because listen to me, if you parent well, I have six children. We are their best friends. They're grown-ups now. We're on our 42-year love fest in Scottsdale, Arizona, and then we spent, this is what it sounded like, and you answer the phone. Six children, five ones in heaven, but five of them are calling you at least three times a day. What y'all doing? Wait, my God, my God. I mean, are y'all alive? I mean, y'all been going weeks. Baby, we've been here three days. We do this once a year. Okay, so we raised our best friends. But when I see adult parents negotiating with children, children manipulating their parents, parents trying to rationalize and reason with children, y'all, they are not emotionally mature to handle it. They're not intellectually. So you're talking, and all they want to get is the candy they want. And they know they're going to get it out of you because you're the idiot. You are the parent. No, no, but listen, that's funny. That's funny, but it's not. Because if you don't parent well, you know, when they're young, they're adorable. You're going to cuddle them at night when it's time to go to bed. But if you don't get this area right, they're not always young and adorable. And you're going to be the parent laying in your bed at night, worried sick about them when they're teenagers and college-age kids, praying they're just going to come home safe because they're making so many poor choices. I give you permission to parent them. Good. And, oh, wait, last thing. Okay, sorry, last thing. As it concerns discipline, I just want to share this with you. You know, we, this is the word of God. These principles, I'm not smart enough to reinvent this. When it says spank your child, we had a wooden rod hanging on our door. If you, you didn't get a wooden rod for anything, you had to full on straight up lie to my face or harm one of your siblings. And or you be did disrespectful. That, or, yeah, or be disrespectful. Then you got three swats, period. Then we hug you, pray for you, and you go outside and play. It's over. That, five boys, that rod got a lot of use, right? <laughs> Another thing I want to caution you all about. Tell them who made the rod. I'm going to tell you. My son Christian, wild man Christian, the hardest one of the bunch made the rod. The rod is now hanging in Christian's house because he has three children <laughs> that are just like him. And he does the exact same thing because he's very wise. But I want to caution you about something else. You know, the new thing as of, I don't know, the last 20 years is just time out because you love your child so much. How could anyone ever spank their child? Well, let me just help you with that mentality. You send your child to their room by themselves to give them time out. Do you think they're sitting there thinking wonderful thoughts about you? They're ticked. 
Their heart is stirring. They're getting bitter. They're getting resentful. They're thinking how they're going to get back at you. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then this goes on forever. Three swats, hug them, love them, go put them outside, go play football with your friends. It's over. Do you, do you know where most abuse comes from? When parents don't consistently discipline, you let it build up, build yes. up, yes. build up. And then because you didn't consistently discipline, you don't spank in an appropriate manner. You're actually venting and revenging your frustration on your child. It is work to stop, pull over the carter and go, I told you if you did that again, you're going to get the rod of correction. And pull over on I-10 and have a little Mexican booty hanging out there like that, <laughs> spanking you. It, it, is, it is work, but it's worth it. And the child that got it the most... The rod is hanging at his house right now. Think about that. Joseph called me one day when John Wesley, Pastor Joseph, John Wesley's two years old. He goes, I mean, I got it. I never thought I'd spank John Wesley. Let me tell you something. I'm driving down Ridge Road. People must have thought I was crazy. Pulled that car over, put the thing down, whipped his little butt, put him back in the car seat, picked it back up, and drove on home. I am going to do exactly what the Word of God says. It worked for y'all, and it's going to work for me. You say, Pastor, do you really believe in spanking? Let me give you the answer. Yes. Do you know why? I've just never considered myself smarter than God. It's true. Dr. Spock was the first person that started telling people not to spank your children. When I was speaking to students in the, in the early 1990s to two 2000s, one out of every four children was hitting their parents. So either you can spank your child or they can spank you. You get to decide. <laughs> Number four, show your children that God is first. Show your children that God is first. How many of you believe that your children learning godly morals and godly values from God's word is the most important thing in the world? Raise your hand. How many believe eternal truths are the most important thing in the world? Raise your hand. Now, there's what we call in school, they don't call it anymore, but it used to be called the three R's. Now, none of them begin with R, writing, reading, and arithmetic. Remember that? Those geniuses, and none of them begin with an R. <laughs> yeah, right, reading, writing, right, okay. But, but, but listen carefully. Is, is godly values and morals more important than two plus two equals four? Okay, question then. Do you get up in the morning and ask your children if they'd like to go to school? <laughs> Honey, baby, it's Monday. Do, do you feel like going to school today? No. Then why in the name of heaven do you do that with church? <laughs> well, Pastor, I... I don't want to shove it down their throat. Your, children, your parents made you eat vegetables when you grew up. Did you stop eating them? No, no. Of course not. Your job as a parent is to teach your children priorities. Your children often fail to listen to you, but they will never fail to imitate you. They will never fail to imitate you. You know how I know that? People come walk in this church and go, is that Joseph preaching? Yes. Joseph? Yes. Joseph Aranza? 
Yes. Christian's a pastor? Yes. I never thought he'd be a pastor. Because they often fail to listen, but they never fail to imitate. Show your children that God is first in your time. Is church a commitment or a convenience? Now, I love when Torin, I don't know if y'all were here for spiritual renewal, but Torin Wells said something that I'll never forget. Thank you. He said something I'll never forget. He said, I fear for the next generation. Because this generation, on average, parents bring their children to church eight times a year. And he said, don't be surprised that you're raising a generation that you're going to be confused about and point your fingers at because they're not doing what's right. And he said, but you did not plant them in the house where they could get the word of God, where the word of God could be planted in their hearts. And he said, you're going to find yourself as a grandparent to your children and your grandchildren, and you're going to be in church, and you're going to be texting them, hey, baby, are y'all coming to, I'm at church, where are y'all? And you're, they're going to respond, oh, I didn't know y'all were going today. Because it wasn't a consistent pattern in your life, it for sure will not be a consistent pattern in theirs. They need to know that the Bible and prayer are normal practices in your home. Their normal practices in your home. They need to know that you tithe. But when they get money, they get $10, you need to say, baby, this dollar goes to God. You save a dollar and $8 are for you. Mm-hmm. They, they need to know that. Now, you know what's exciting? What's exciting is 3,000 churches open up, brand new churches every year. Isn't that wonderful? You said that earlier. Let me tell you what's sad. Did I say that earlier? Okay, what? 4,000 close. That is a net loss. That is for you and me, us showing that church is a priority to us. It doesn't matter if you're in Abbeville. It doesn't matter if you're in New Iberia, Lafayette. The next generation is waiting on us to show them what our true priorities are so they can follow and like. They need to know that. The third thing is your talent. How many of you, this is your church? Okay, let me ask you a question. Who picks up at your house? Who cleans your house? Who serves at your house? Okay, is this your spiritual house? Then who should serve at this house? Who should give at this house? Who should give to others and help others at this house? Who should take care of this house? Who should build this house? This is your spiritual house. And you should treat it like you do. And your parent, your children are watching today. I saw an incredible young couple that I love. I married them. I married them. The dad of the young man is now passed away, tragically passed away. I preached the funeral during COVID. Very sad. Today was one of the first days he's been back in church since his daddy passed. Do you know why he's back in church? Because his daddy's priority was the house of God. And when I, when I think of time, treasure, and talent, I think of the basic principle of stewardship. 
And uh, one, again, I said this at the beginning, one of the things I love about God, I love his kindness, and I love that he's just the equalizing factor. The Bible says that one day we're all going to stand before him, and prayerfully he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We make it complicated. He makes it very simple. Because all of humanity has an opportunity to be good. I don't know where you came from, but I know that goodness is in you. You can be good. I know that you have the ability to be faithful because that's a character trait of your Heavenly Father. And I know that all of us have the ability to be other-centered. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's as simple as ABCs of stewardship. Steward well your time, your treasure, and your talent. You'll never regret it. Number five, pray with your children nightly. Now, this is interesting because Michelle would read stories to the children, okay, at night, and then I would go in and I would, I would pray with them at night, all the way up until they were like in their late teens, in early 20s, if they were living at home. First of all, I wanted to smell them. <laughs> am I, parents, am I right? You're going in there, hey, how are you? <laughs> like a drug-sniffing dog. <laughs> Well, well you, you, you're smelling for cigarettes, you're smelling for, you're smelling for anything. Parents, am I talking? Yes. Okay. And so I think some of our children moved out of the house because that nightly TSA check I gave them. <laughs> Pat down, how are you? What's going on? <laughs> Looking through knapsacks. Ryan, Ryan, this is a true story. Wait, this is a true story. So now our now children's pastors, Johan and Lindsay. So Lindsay's been our personal assistant for 25 years, and Johan's her husband, and they're our children's pastors. We would have to leave to take ministry trips, and we would have them stay at the house. Well, they stay downstairs in our master bedroom. Upstairs above our master bedroom is the boys' rooms. And he calls us one night, and he goes, Pastor, you know I have a history with weed and everything, right? Before I came to know the Lord. Yes, Johan, what's up? He goes, something smells really familiar up there. <laughs> what should I do? What should I do about this? Jacob goes, you go do what you think you're going to do, and then when I get home, I'll do, do what I know I need to do. I, he still laughs about that. Well, l let me tell you what I would do when I go up at night. It's true. L let me tell you what I would do when I would go up at night. How was your day? Fine. I would think of some biblical principle, some scripture, something I'm going to say to them, share with them. I would, and I'd ask, how, who'd you talk to today? Nobody. How was everything? Okay. Anything going on? No. Okay. 99% of the time, that's what, what can daddy pray for? I don't know. 99% of the time, that's what I got. But 1% of the time, they would go, I say, how you doing? Not good. Well, tell daddy what's going on. And all of a sudden, all those 99 days that I knocked on the door of their heart and it was closed, it was worth it because in that one moment, yes. they opened up their heart. If I would have said, when I go up there, all they do is nothing. You know what's so cool? Now they're doing that with their children every night. They're doing that with their children every night. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is the only God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Take to heart the words that I give you today. Read this with me. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you what? Or, or when you 
or when you or when you get up. Now, I don't know how we're going to do this in the next 10 minutes, but we're going to go through now our marriage wisdom in the next 10 minutes. This, you're about to witness a miracle. Okay, number one, I'm going to give to you. Don't go to bed angry. Don't, why are you making me do this one? <laughs> Don't go to bed angry. You know we all have opportunities. Pastor Casanova is amazing. We have an amazing marriage, okay? But no marriage is perfect. And on occasion, there have been times, I'm going to be honest, you know, fifth of seven children, you go to bed and you're always sleeping with a sibling and now you're mad at that sibling. What do you do? You draw the imaginary line and you go, do not cross that line. I will kill you if you cross that line. Well, now you're grown up and you're married. What do you say? I'm not joking. I swear if you cross that line, not a toe. That's what it's talking about. Don't do what I just said. And I have the remedy for that after, but you can go on. Why is this so significant? Do you know what the leading, the final word before divorce is? Psychologists across the board have come up with one word that is the final stage. It's called indifference. Indifference. What is indifference? You got hurt. It went from hurt to unforgiveness. It went from unforgiveness to resentment. It went from resentment to bitterness. And now your heart is hard and indifferent. Men, you understand this. You've seen some cement poured. Stir up a little bag. It's martyr. It's rocks and water. You mix it up together and you pour it. When you pour it, what can you do? Can you write in it? Yes. Come on, you can write anything you want in it. What happens when it sits overnight? That's what happens to your heart because you lay there in bed and you start hearing the voices of resentment. Resent means to relive. That's what it means. And so you start the accuser, who is the devil. He gets in and he starts, can you believe you? I can't believe you, man. Let me tell you something. And you know, you know what? And you know what? You remember that guy you dated that was a nerd in school that really liked you and you just wouldn't have that? Now he's a doctor and you could be living up in River Ranch right now and stay you're living where you are right now with him and a track home and you really could have. I mean, they all, he was so important to you. And you know what he's hearing? Just look at her. Look at her. Remember that skinny girl that liked you in junior high? You saw her the other day in Walmarts? She was fine. She'd be so happy to be married to you. She'd be treating you right now like she's a king. I can't even believe that you ended up marrying her because you ended up marrying her because that becomes a king. Am I lying? Answer? No. No, because the accuser is good at his job. If we don't do ours, the accuser still does his. And so it's as simple as simply looking over and saying, This is what I say. When you're so mad at your husband that you just want to rip his head off, his cute little head off, that you can't even look him in the face and apologize. But when the lights go out at night, you can reach your hand over and take his hand. Just go, baby, I'm so sorry. Like a genuinely, I'm so sorry. I swear to you that has worked for me a thousand times, girls. And then I say, can we kiss and make up? And I say, no, I still say the toe thing, but... <laughs> I'm teasing. No, you're not. But I'm sorry. <laughs> it's really as simple as an apology oh, is my point. I know, as an apology is my okay. point. I'm a Christian. I should be a professional repenter. Right. Right. I have to ask God to forgive me every day. Come on, say this with me. I'm sorry. I'm Come sorry. on, say it loud. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of your mates just witnessed a miracle. 
Okay, number two, do not have a child-centered marriage. It makes your children selfish and you short-sighted. They're leaving one day. Your mate is not. Number three. Wait, and in that equation, y'all, nobody, nobody wins. I have, I have notes, too. Okay, go ahead. Go to the next one. I'm, I'm not going to bed at night with you saying I'm sorry. <laughs> Number three, don't allow your children to divide you. It's bad for you and worse for them. It sows insecurity. It teaches them to be professional manipulators. Yes. And if the relationship ends, you will sow resentment in their heart because they will believe the shame and guilt of they caused your separation. Don't allow your children to divide you. Now, there's only one. The favorite in our... She was not believed that it's the favorite, okay? But if you were to ask any of the other children who's the favorite child, they would say, Joseph. And she would say... The one with the coat of many colors. <laughs> That's not true. You say, well, Pastor, how, how do you know that? Well, at Christmas, like, it would be, Jacob Jr., you get a guitar. Christian, you get a shotgun. Haddon, you get hunting decoys. Amberly, you get something girl. Uh, Wesley, you get something guys like. Joseph gets a bass. And drums. And clothes. And the newest Nike tennis shoes every child in America is trying to kill somebody to get. And like, like our, most of the children are looking at one thing. Joseph has so many toys and stuff, you can't even see Joseph for all the stuff that's stacked around him. Wasn't so all of us, all of us have a child that is closer to us. You can say you don't have favorites. You could do, God knows the truth. Quit lying to yourself. Put your hand on the Bible. Okay. And, but, but here's, here's the truth. You can't allow that child to separate you. Don't tell daddy. Don't tell mama. The enemy is the divider. And not only is it bad for your Kids, it's worse for your marriage. And the worst thing you can do for your kids is to divide your marriage. And at the end of it all, the peace of your home is robbed. The Bible says this, a divided house doesn't stand. You stay united. Number four, let your children know your marriage is your priority. Your family goes as your marriage goes, not vice versa. Our children know we have coffee in the morning together. That's our sacred time. I mean, unless you're dying, leave us alone. Amberly comes walking in, and Michelle and I are just emoting, having coffee, and she comes walking in. We go, uh, this is our time. She goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It, 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 that is a sacred time where we emote and we connect. Because we're not going to see each other again for the rest of the whole day. So we have to talk that morning. This is a big deal. Okay. Let your children know that your marriage is your priority. Number five, pray together consistently. You are not what you do. You become what you consistently do. Here's what happens when you pray together. Number one, you get closer to the person you're praying to. Who is that? God. Number two, you get closer to the person you're praying with. Who is that? Amen. And number three, you get closer to the person you're praying for. So you win always. And let me share this with you. Things are going to happen to you in life where you're going to need to pray. Man, look at me. I know you don't like to do stuff you're not good at. I'm not a good prayer. Prayer in our Father. I don't care. 
just acknowledge the presence of God because moments are going to come where your words are not going to be enough and what you say is not going to be enough. You need God. You need God. And it's in those moments you pray. Listen, she's seen you naked. Not naked, naked. Naked is like socks on. Naked is like nothing on but a smile. She has seen you. She has seen you that way. Let, let, look. She can surely hear you praying. God, we need you. Help us. Help us. But before you go to the last part, I just want to say this. A healthy marriage, when I think of my grandparents and I think of my parents, the Bible calls it them oaks of righteousness. So they, they grew and they stood hurricanes and they stood storms. And I could tell you a million storms they went through. But they grew up to become immovable because they were an oak of righteousness so all their children took shade under them you had a problem where do you go you go to your mama's you go to your mama's they're anchors in your life well they're all gone so now guess who are the oaks of righteousness we are and our children are counting on us to get this right and to keep it right and so are your children you too can be an oak of righteousness okay and then finally let your children see you and your mate express love and affection until they throw up in their mouth. Listen, I love for my children to see me. I'll hug Michelle. I'm rubbing on her behind going, this is so fine. My kids are going, this is gross. That's sick, daddy. Listen to me. The world is drowning them with images of lust. Make sure they see a picture of what real love is. Yes. Yes. Our greatest witness to a lost world is our love for our wives and our children. It's so anti anything of this world. Proverbs 5. This is the Bible. Let your own fountain be blessed and enjoy the girl you married. Come on, man. When you were young, a loving doe, a graceful deer, always let her breast satisfy you. It's in the word of God. Take a picture, man. Take a picture. It is. Okay. Ladies, look look at me. Don't laugh. He's going to be tempted by somebody's breast. It's going to be yours or somebody else's. Always be intoxicated with her love. With her love. My, my spiritual father, the man that led me to the Lord when I was 14 and raised me like his son for the next 10 years. He didn't teach me a lot about money. He taught me how to love God and how to love a woman. About five, six years ago, we were coming back from Hawaii speaking at a men's conference and he and I are sitting together and he's texting Gaynell, his wife, who's like a mother to me since I was 14. And he looks over at me and he goes, she said, she's excited to see me. And he said, my God, son, have you ever seen a 79-year-old woman as pretty as her? And I'm like, no. Look at me. It's not these eyes. It's these eyes. Here. Her stomach has scars from our six children. 
her brow, wrinkles from the tears, the trials, the times of celebration and joy, her knees worn from prayer, her hands, the meals they've cooked, the babies they've patted, the diapers they've changed. Next to Jesus, this is the greatest gift God has ever given me. Today, you're made as two. If you're single, this is a picture of your future. I want to say this, baby. Everything you just said, you know, coming to church, that's like the celebration of our faith. I love coming to church. I can walk in here heavy-hearted and worship starts and the whole, my whole soul changes. This is a celebration. But the sacred moments that no one shares but you and God are everything my husband just shared. Mama, if you're at home changing diapers, that's a sacred moment. If you're at home serving your family, Daddy, if you're at that job work, working extra time to provide for those you love the most, those are the sacred moments. That is what makes you an oak of righteousness. Coming to church is the extra. We want to stand and we want to pray. I want you to stand with me all across this room. I would apologize for going late, but I'd be lying. Look at me. If God can do what he's done in my life, and if God can carry us through loss, disappointment, heartache, joys, he can carry you, no matter what you're going through. Single mama, single daddy. This, this didn't accidentally happen. There were thousands of choices made. Well, this story wouldn't be what it is. Today, every one of our children are serving Jesus. We get to spend eternity with him. And I get to do life with the greatest gift God's ever given me, not named Jesus. I want to pray that for you. We want to pray that for you. If, if you're here with your mate, would you take them by the hand? If you're single, I want you to think about the person God's going to give you. Don't claim anybody around you, but just <laughs> like, I'll take him. No, just calm down. <laughs> Be careful. Father God, today, Michelle and I pray. There, there is no reason why our story should be, but Jesus, you. A loving father who knows the disappointment of every person here and the joy of every person here. And he sees, he sees our children, he sees our grandchildren. Children we don't even know yet exist, and grandchildren we don't even know the yet exist. Great grandchildren that are counting on us, building a foundation that stands the storms of life. Today, Lord Jesus, today, Lord Jesus, we pray for every single person here, single or married. 
picture of their future for those that are single. A fresh hope, a fresh strength, a fresh grace for those that are weary in their relationship now, knowing that the best of their years are the rest of their years as they fight through their issues. We bless every marriage and every family here. I rebuke the devil from every home, every division that he wants to bring, every bitter, resentful moment. And I want every married couple here, every person that wants this that's single, I want you to pray out loud with me. Dear Lord Jesus, today, I surrender completely to you. My hurts of the past. Forgive me for mistakes I've made, sins I've committed against people I love. Lord Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Make my relationship with you and my mate a light in a dark world. And may my children become light because of my decisions today. And now with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're here today and this is what you want so bad, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never been born again. Today's your day. The reason our story is what it is is because of Jesus being the center of our lives, of being born again, of committing ourselves wholly to him. Today, if you've never done that, this can be your day. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I've never been born again. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus, but that's what I want to do today. That's you. I want you to lift your hand right now. I'm going to pray for you. Write it real quickly. Write your seat right where you are. Okay. Yes. 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 Okay. You can put your hands down. Let's pray out loud, church, with those that raise their hand. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, did you receive that? What a great word. Hey, if you just made that decision to give your life to Jesus, your next step is water baptism. You can grab this card in front of you, fill it out. Hey, we will see you guys next week for week one of our Easter series.